All right, good morning, everybody. So we are in Ephesians uh, 4, chapter, uh, I mean, um, verse uh, 17 is where we'll pick up. Oh, I'm probably not on. Let's see. There we go. Is that it? Yeah. So um, several times I've mentioned that um, Paul makes this transition in the first verse of chapter 4, focusing on applying some of the information that he has given it. Verse, I'll, I'll keep coming back to uh, at least one more time. Uh, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And this calling should be characterized by several things. And in the early part of this chapter, we focused on the, the corporate effect of this calling, that we are... Um, we are Christians living in community, and there should be something about being a Christian that kind of creates that community. We see um, in verse 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And, and there's, there's unity there. We've talked about that this unity should be characterized by hope and by peace and just those uh, this nature of just a Christian community should have a certain group of characteristics that um, kind of identifies it as being uh, one that's different. Um, it just just kind of makes sense there. And then in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at kind of, uh, of looking at some of the things that we've gotten individually. We talked about spiritual gifts that were uh, given to us individually for our ministry, but also that these gifts are, in effect, gifts to the church. So we've got a focus on uh, the corporate implication of our giftedness as well as the personal implication of our gift. So from the first part of the chapter where it was all about community and about us collectively, and then we've kind of narrowed that down a little bit to um, a high individual responsibility and corporate ministry, that sort of thing. And today I would argue that we're going to narrow it down even further, that Paul is going to narrow down our focus even further uh, to the really the heart of what does it mean to you as an individual to be a Christian? And I think you could even argue that that this passage really gets at the heart of what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean, this term we use, conversion, regeneration? born again, all those terms that we use, I think we'll get to maybe some of the heart of that in the scripture today. And it, and it's, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys interact with this a lot because I think there's a lot to interact with and to interact about. So we're going to pick up with verse 17. And, and just by way of uh, understanding, the first half of this passage, we're going to go through verse 24. The first half is about um, our old pre-converted state, and then the last half is uh, what Paul expects of us now that we are Christians. So verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I think the easiest way to 
to start to understand this passage is to substitute in verse 17 where it says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You could substitute, should no longer walk as the non-Christians do. Or you could maybe more accurately say, shouldn't walk as Americans do. Or as people in Lancaster County do. Um, no longer walk as the prevailing culture. There should be something different about that. And so if we thought about what are those things that characterize this Gentile slash non-Christian slash American culture, um, what would you say? What, what are some broad ways of describing that state? As you look out, the media, um, the news, the politics, the, you know, what are some of those themes that you say, you know, that's just, that's our culture, that's probably not the way it's supposed to be. I think that's probably uh, still very accurate. Um, so there are elements, I think, in that that really say a lot. So who determines if something feels good? I do, right? I get to decide what I want to do. Okay, so we have a lot of people who are searching and want to be a part of something just to be a part of something. It's becoming like games and stuff now. Okay. Isn't there a phrase in scripture that says everyone did what was right in their own eyes? Exactly. And no inhibitions. All right. Yeah. What else? This old way of I read somewhere where somebody said, you know, uh, 30 years ago, some Christians debated whether or not they should go to movies, even though the movies of 30 would probably really be quite good. And nowadays, the movies might be much less than wholesome, and, but that's not really a debate anymore. You know, so it is interesting. Yeah, I think you guys are, are hitting right on it. Um, there is very much an I focus, an egocentric focus to our culture, right? Um, what are the things that will make me happy? Um, which in essence is just idol worship, right? I mean, it's just idol worship by any other name. Um, there's also this concept of, you know, this is all there is. There's not a whole lot of, of um, kind of prevailing wind to... Um, to do something because this isn't all there is, right? Um, I think that's something that, um, uh, in a bizarre way, this is what Christianity and the devotees of radical Islam have in common. 
both groups are working with the notion that this place is not what counts. Now think about that, right? The devotees of ISIS are all focused about the rest of this life. That's where all the that's how you get somebody to be a martyr, is by saying this life is not what's important. In a weird way. I'm not sure this should go on the internet, but in a weird way, maybe Christians should have more of that focus, that this is not all there is. But I, see, I certainly think our culture has that viewpoint. I also think there's this um, concept of, you know, uh, I have a right to this or that, or I deserve to have this or that, this concept of entitlement. And, um, of course, the first word is I in all of that, and... You could say, I, I, I. This is definitely, as some people have said, the, the me generation. Uh, I think that's only the case. Um, in essence, it's Romans 1 all over again, right? We've looked at Romans 1 in the past where um, uh, people were, were darkened. Their eyes were, were not open to things. Every, um, so God gave them over to their bad way of thinking. And, and, and uh, uh, corruption and so forth followed that. Um, at one says, um, notice that since they do not have God in their minds, they do not have God in their actions. This back to the scripture. You walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, and so I want to introduce um, a little soul arithmetic here as a way of understanding this passage. Now, uh, I had a. Um, an introduction to philosophy teacher who started off his claim like this, that if you have presuppositions plus good logic, Then you can have good conclusions. If you have good presuppositions and you have bad logic, you can have bad conclusions. If you have great logic, the argument makes perfect sense, but you start with the wrong presuppositions, then you don't get good conclusions either. So this is kind of philosophical arithmetic. So let me offer what am I call soul arithmetic. That bad thinking plus bad habits. is going to definitely lead to uh, bad behavior in general. Now, was that, was that a penmanship comment back there? <laughs> <laughs> no, we just, I just said, you know, you get bad thinking and bad habits, so that had to be bad. Right? Exactly. 
<laughs> because it it follows that flow, right? I mean, if you if you have erroneous view of the world, and maybe even good practices, maybe you're very disciplined. Likely, it's still going to give you a well and bad outcome. Um, if you had maybe even great thinking, but continue to participate in bad behaviors and bad habits, then the way you live your life is going to be bad as well. As we move into our passage, I think the arithmetic follows. It might be a little bit more complex, but I, I still think it follows. Um, so let's go ahead and, and move to um, verse 20. Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So how might... We put this. I should say that of the various things that say about academics, I did just enough math to get me by. But I think this is a good way to think about it. So I think we could say. Good. Good teaching. Yes. Bad habits. We'll talk about this. Plus this renewal that Paul talks about. That is added to good habits. And that leads to authentic Christianity. Paul says, again back in verse 20, but this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Um, I think Paul is recognizing he may not have an audience that has an equal amount of understanding about this whole Christianity thing. But I think he's making the, points, the point that there are some basic things you have to know about Jesus to be a Christian, and it's the essence of, of what Christianity is. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. We've talked about truth last week, and again, this concept of truth shows up again this week. 
The truth is in Jesus. So what is this truth that is in Jesus? I'm, you know, of course, that could be the title of a book. But briefly, I tried to just make it as concise as I could. We have a sin problem. The only way out of that is by accepting by faith that his death on the cross can be counted by God as payment for our sin. And this transaction results in us being accepted into God's family. Thus we are changed, we're reborn with a new standing, a new purpose, and a new nature. That's the essence of that. Now, here's the the thing, though. We are reborn. We're not reborn fully complete. Um, We still have a lot to learn, a lot to apply, a lot of growing to do. Um, If you think about it this way, if if all of our conversion, so to speak, happened in full completeness, then really most of the New Testament wouldn't be necessary, right? We wouldn't need Paul telling us to do, telling us to do. Uh, we wouldn't need, um, he wouldn't have needed to write the First Corinthians to, you know, stop dating your mother-in-law. He wouldn't have needed to tell people these things because they would have already just been changed, but we changed, but not completely. This conversion process, and um, therefore, he is telling us that there's more to it than. But there, there is some basic understanding that you have to. You have to have a connection with Jesus. You have to understand that truth. You remember what was the main thing that Jesus taught right when he started his ministry? Remember what the main thing was? Do you remember what the main thing John the Baptist's teaching was? Repent. Repent. That was Jesus' first message too. Repent. You are bad. You need to repent. You have a sin problem. That was part of the truth of Jesus. And, you know, part of being a Christian is realizing that you have a sin problem and, okay, now that you know you have a problem, now you need to fix it, right? I mean, every tract you've ever seen doesn't, isn't that where it starts? You are a sin. You've got a sin problem. All right, and then it, it says, put off, this is verse 22, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So, understand who you are as a Christian, and stop (coughs) behaving the way you used to behave. Now, I know we've all heard stories. I think, you know, God works differently with different people. You know, someone who maybe had this really horrible habit and way of living, and they got saved, and God took that away from them miraculously. And praise God for that. I think that definitely happens. But again, if that was the norm, if that wasn't the exception, again, Paul wouldn't have to write this. I think we're probably more normal. We still fight some of the same things we fought when we first got saved. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have to tell us that. So there's this 
active thing that we have to do, if we're going to say we're Christians, we have to actively take off those old clothes, take off the old stuff to prepare us to do the new thing. Again, if we didn't need to hear it, it wouldn't be there. We, this is an, an active thing that we have to continually do. Verse 23, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I worked on that phrase for a long time, and I'm still not 100% sure I've got it, but this, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. At what part of us does our brain interact with our soul and all of those? I mean, that, those are questions that, you know, it, definitely philosophers and theologians have dealt with for uh, centuries. But this thing about being renewed in the spirit of our minds, there's something there. Um, this phrase, it called to mind, and maybe it did to you, Romans 12, where it talks about renewal. 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you can discern what the will of God is. So here, again, Paul puts, at least in the same thought, let go of the old stuff and renew. There's this renewal going on. And, and in... Um, 1 Corinthians, there's a lengthy passage where Paul says, What no eye has seen nor ear heard a man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thought of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So this renewal here, I think this is the active, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, changing our minds, changing the way we think. And I think one way to look at conversion is that we are saved, now we have at least the capacity to see things the way God does. When you look at the culture and you say everything's evil on the media, you're not looking at the world the way the world does. You're looking through different eyes. And so we have that capacity now, whereas before we were saved, we didn't even have the capacity to look at the world that way. We didn't have the, the capability to really act differently, right? We were, if we go with Calvinists, we were totally depraved. We, we didn't have it within us. But through the action of the Holy Spirit, now at least we have the potential of seeing things God's way, of acting. But it's an ongoing process. Um, this leads right into... Verse 24, put on the new self. That's these, these good habits. Like 
many of my uh, patients, I've had to watch my way through the years with varying amounts of success. But one of the tips that they always tell people is that they say, just pretend you've already lost your weight and then eat like you would if you wanted to stay that. Well, I submit that part of being is watching how other people act and live and just faking it if you didn't really feel it, but modeling them, saying I'm going to try to do and act the way that they're acting. I'm going to, I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to be good at this, but they say I need to give it a shot. They say I need to read my Bible through it a year, so I'm going to, I may not be there yet, but I'm going to try to develop some of these good habits. I'm going to try to put on new clothes. An actor, if you've seen somebody that just, they put on some piece of costume and then they change their behavior and next thing you know, you think you're looking at a totally different character. In a way, I think there's part of a fake it till you make it sort of thing here. Um, we now have the capacity and I think the Holy Spirit, there's this back and forth here. The more we do, the easier it becomes and and that's part of retraining our brain. I mentioned before, one of the most really uh, amazing things to me as a physician is trying to understand how our brain changes and, and appreciating the way our brain can change. And, but I think this also explains this conversion thing and why is it that not instantly changed. And I think, I think the way I think of this is And it's in keeping with what we've said before that this now and not yet sanity, right? We are looked at if we are righteous because he sees Jesus, not us. Ways act righteously, right? So we're we're seen one way, but we're not yet that way in in other respects. Here's as I was trying to get my head around this. Here's how I. I wrote this to myself. I said, understanding the now and the not yet. I said, I think conversion changes my capacity to see things differently and my capability to act in a different way. But this new potential is overlaid on a brain with its own history. It's had its own patterns of thinking through the years. Its own, you hear athletes talk about muscle, this automatic stuff. The brain has its own scars, its own hard drives, things that you've seen in the past conversations you've had and so forth. When we're Christians, we're not erased. That hard drive of our life is not just erased. But yet over time, I think like a hard drive, we can be overwritten with new nation and new and better behavior. So that's this this process of conversion is ongoing. And you help us understand when we fail saved, it means that cliche on it that I think is a, is a true cliche. We're still in the process of changing. And this thing about put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, that's what we're shooting for so that we can really be authentic Christians, so that we can live holy lives and, and we can act righteously and we can, you know, like I said last week, 
that we can maybe be the best example of Jesus that that person's going to see that we're working with. But it's not easy. And this makes me really feel bad for those parts of the body, the big body, like our, our holiness friends who are saved, but they feel that you can lose your salvation because it's all about achieving perfection through just really trying hard. And I think there's, it's great that they're trying hard, and, and I should be trying hard too, but that doesn't affect my conversion. It doesn't mean I'm, whether I'm saved or not. But if they're, if they're looking for perfection, that's not going to happen in this life. It's, it's a process. So Paul is encouraging us to keep trying to keep putting on the new self, to keep taking off those old things, you know. Um, I've been known to rewear a sock or two because maybe the dog took one of them and I could only find one. And Well, here's a dirty one that's not too dirty. It matters that I had, you know, so maybe, you know, so maybe we keep putting on again, you know, and we need to continue to, to try to rid ourselves and of those old things that, that we pick really up. More like a daily th- the renewing of our daily faith. Absolutely. Okay. It's, if not hourly, our minute. down to renew your mind on that daily basis, it ain't going to happen. Right. And, but there are times, there are times that a good habit will prompt you to act a certain way that you you just didn't feel like reading your Bible that day, but you've had 10 days in a row, so you're just going to go ahead and do it again because you don't want to break your streak. It's probably not the most Christian of motives, right? God, I break my streak. I'm really not that interested in what you got to say to me today, but I got a good thing going here, so I want to, you know, I mean, but yet that good habit is going to yield some good benefits. This is the whole concept of spiritual discipline. You guys have, have looked with that. But now, I think the Holy Spirit can take that act of faith and obedience and make it where we're maybe a little bit more properly motivated the next time. And, and so that good habit gets reinforced. I guess the, the point I'll make is that we should all have a certain amount of grace with each other as we're sometimes on our good days and sometimes not on our good days as we give to each other. And that we should maybe give ourselves a little bit of slack, say, you know, some people have such this concept of perfectionism that if they fail, they just want to say, well, forget it. I can't do it. Uh, why do I even try sort of thing? Right? But I think this should speak to that person as well to say, you know, of course you're going to fail. Of course you're going to break your streak. Because God's not through with you yet. But if you commit to the cycle of taking off the bad stuff again and putting on the good stuff again, if you commit to that cycle, then at least you're better than you were to begin with. And I think God does continue to change us over time. you got to not let that little fellow that sits up on his shoulder in the comic strip sleep. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we've always seen that uh, comic strip with the, the good angel and the bad angel and so forth. Um, I found one tater um, hooped this way. We seem to be moral. It is a struggle to, between what the Bible calls the old man and the new man. 
Once I've been made alive to God through his divine initiative, quickened by his regenerating grace, my heart now throbs with spiritual life. There is now a radical discontinuity between my old self and my new self, but it's not a total discontinuity. A link remains between the old man and the new man. The old man has been dealt a death blow. His destination is certain, but he's not yet dead. As Christians, we are to mortify the flesh by destroying the old nature. Feed the new man by all means of grace that God has appointed. Um, starve the old man by denying him the occasions for sin. It is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit struggle in this spiritual warfare. It is important to understand that truth is absolutely vital and essential to new life. It is truth that changes our behavior. A sober, clear understanding of God's truth is what is lives. Good teaching. Taking off, committing ourselves to the renewal by the Holy Spirit as we continue to practice those spiritual disciplines, over we start to look more like Christ. All right. So, comments? Yeah. Jane? Um, reading from David Jeremiah notes. Um, Every believer can be assisted in all important of being renewed in his or her, her mind by practicing the spiritual disciplines, Bible study and memorization, prayer and worship, service and ministry, witnessing and missions, giving to God, fasting and church attendance. So those are the class, at least some of the classic spiritual disciplines. Some people would add solitude and some of the other ones as well. Um, Yep, important. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you for um, salvation. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, and we thank you that you have saved us, but yet you are continuing to save us and to mold us into your image. Father, give us grace to um, recommit each day uh, to you and to that picture of who we need to be and that is Christ. In his name I pray, amen.